It's raining out here. My mom used to tell me, she used to say, uh, I'd say, Mom, it's raining. I can't go out. She said, you're not sugar. You're not going to melt. And uh, you're not sweet enough to melt. So, uh, so I'm glad you made it to church, and I'm glad you're watching. My mom always watches. And my mom is at my sister's house in uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I just want to say to you, Mom, I'm sorry you have to be there with Tracy. I know she's aggravating and not your favorite. Uh, but I'm glad you're watching. And my sister's birthday was Friday, so happy birthday. Take good care of mom. And we have all kinds of folks watching online from Little Rock, Arkansas to uh, West Point up in New York, as well as uh, Fayetteville, Deanie's watching. We have people in Germany and Finland and all kinds of, but Washington State, which is an amazing place. And I want to give a big hand out to our folks that are, are the men at the Ramsey unit. Let's give them a big hand. So thank you for being at church today. Hey, if you're at the uh, West End campus, thanks for being there at the 11 o'clock uh, service today. I'm glad you're there. Go by and see Abe. He'll buy you a coffee. In Missouri City, listen, in Missouri City, we're building a baptistry. It's right outside the front door, as you'd see. It'll be done in just a couple of weeks, and I'm coming down there to uh, baptize. And if you've ever thought about getting baptized as an adult, as a public profession of your own faith, I know many of you were baptized as a child, but this is about your decision to be baptized and identify with Christ. Go by and see Chad today or somebody with the lanyard, and we'll get you signed up. We're going to have a big baptism in a few weeks. We're very, very excited about it. And how are my favorite people in the Richmond area here? They're good? Everybody's good? Well, great. Well, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Patrick. If you're visiting with us here, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards. I'd love to to see you as well. I'd love to meet you. Hey, um, listen, we started the book of uh, Philippians. It's in the New Testament, and your assignment was to read. Now, don't, don't go too far ahead. We're only in chapter one. We're going to finish chapter one today, but uh, I want you to kind of study on your own. I want you to open your Bible and study on your own. Google things, write in there, and figure it out for yourself, because it's an important, pat this is an important letter the Apostle Paul wrote, and uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison. And let me give you a little bit of background on this deal. I, I, I covered it last week, so you can see the whole talk last week's talk on YouTube. But uh, basically what he's writing, he established a church in Philippi, the city of Philippi, and it's the northeast area of Greece, modern day Greece, that back then they called it Macedonia. And it was made up, and this is kind of amazing if you kind of remember this as you read the story, is um, it's made up of Greeks and Romans, and a few Jewish people, but mostly Greek, non-Jewish folks. So that was kind of Paul's mission, is to take the message of Jesus to non-Jewish people, uh, to the Gentile world. And so he does that, and the church there in Philippi really took off. I mean, it really brought all kinds of people together. It reminds us of our three campuses here, all kinds of people coming together because there was a bigger story going on than, than who you identified with. Everybody was now identifying as a Christ follower. And so Paul was writing to him and he was writing to them from prison. And he writes this theme about joy and how to have joy even in the midst of difficulty. And he was so proud of the Philippian church, right, that he wrote this letter. And this is what we saw last week. Last week he wrote this. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Meaning, that this love is a powerful thing, the love that you have for God and the love you have for others, and it's making a difference. And so Paul's prayer was that you would love more and more, that, that your love would be, get bit better at it. You'd, you'd get better at loving others. And we talked about that last week. We talked about if we just carry into all of our relationships all that we learn from our home. Some of you 
had great homes to grow up in, and you learned how to love well. But most of us, you know, it wasn't perfect. None of us had a perfect home. So this is a learned skill. We have to love other people the way they need to be loved and speak the language that they hear so they know that they're loved. And so that was Paul saying is, man, we want you to love more and more. And the one of the ways you do that is you gain knowledge and understanding. And that goes for your relationship with God. That's why I've got you digging in to the book of Philippians on your own, because I want you to dig in. I want you to figure out kind of three things. I want you to figure out who God is and what's he all about. I want you to figure out who you are and what you're all about. And I want you to think think about the world that we live in and what it's all about. And those three things will help you understand how much God cares about you and loves you. And your love will abound more and more as you grow in knowledge and insight. You got that? So that's our, that's our task at home, at work, is how can I love well? How can I love better? How can I love sacrificially? Now, Paul was also addressing a couple of issues there in Philippi, one of which is some people were telling the story of Jesus, but they didn't really have uh, the right motives. And so I want to read that because he addresses it. Let's go to that. We're going to skip the next one. Uh, Okay, here it is. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here. And where was Paul? This is your first test question. Where was Paul? Prison. Prison. Oh, pay attention. It's good. It's impressive. You know, in school, this may be hard for you to believe. I didn't pay attention. (laughs) Never, ever. I didn't do well in school. That's what I'm saying. I don't know why you go to church here, really. (laughs) Anyway, so he's put in prison. So I'm put here, right, for the defense of the gospel. So he tells it, hey, the reason I'm in prison in Rome, right, facing the death penalty is because of what I believe. I mean, we don't understand that kind of persecution, but that was real, and it's real in other parts of the world. And he goes on to say it this way. The former, the other people that are preaching out of Christ out of selfish ambition, well, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But here's the great question. What does it matter? Listen, this is a great question. Let's say it together. This, uh, what, what does it matter? Let's say it out loud. Come on. Missouri City and West End. Right here. Ready? But what does it matter? This is a great question when you're in the middle of an argument with your spouse. <laughs> Because the things you're fighting over may not matter. But being right may be too important to you. I I like being right too. Don't don't you like being right? I like being right. But that's the great question. Paul asks it. What does it matter? What does it matter about the motives, right? The important thing, that's what you want to get to when you have conflict, the important thing. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. And so the ideal is that this story was taken hold in Philippi, northeastern Greece, right in Macedonia. And because of that, some people were preaching out of bad motives. And he didn't want to address that. And what it demonstrates to us is Paul's heart. Paul's priority was that the message of Christ would be proclaimed. And it's still... Obviously, the idea behind the mission of our church 
is, is the idea that in the first century you could get it is that there was a Messiah, a savior of the world, that God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so that even these Greeks and these Romans and a few Jewish people in Philippi could hear and understand and come together that they are a sinner and that they need a savior and that God paid the price that they couldn't pay. And when Jesus died on that cross and rose again from the dead, he did everything that needed to be done to accomplish your salvation eternally. Your soul would live forever with God because you're forgiven. Now you have to accept that gift. And that was happening in a great way. You have to come to a place in your life where you believe that you need a savior. And that's a hard place to get to in this very wealthy culture that we live in where money seems to get us by. But the ideal here is that, that Paul was saying, hey, I don't care why people are preaching the story of Jesus. I'm just so glad that the story is being told. And it puts a little bit of pressure on us for us to be telling the story. I think you and I somehow, in not a creepy way, and some of you are very creepy, okay? So not in a creepy way, but in a real way, be able to just say, hey, this is, this is my story. You know, this is, this is what I believe. This is how I came to believe it. You know, this is my story. You can't take away from my story. And we've got to be better and bolder in a culture that's falling apart and very dark at times. We've got to be light. And the way to be light isn't just to be a good good behavior. It's, it's about telling the story. And then Paul goes on. He says, listen, I don't care why you're telling the story. Just tell the story. Tell the story. And then he gives us a little bit more detail about his own particular situation. He says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. Now, I just want to point out something about the, the way this is constructed. What you see in this passage is you see Paul's tension. He doesn't make a declaration here, I will never be ashamed. He says, I hope I'll never be ashamed. Now, where was Paul again? Prison. And he was facing death. And you could tell the tension that he hoped and he prayed that he would not crumble under the pressure and the reality of losing his life. Now, now really, all he had to do is to get released is to tell him, kidding, you know, I'm not, you know, all that Jesus stuff, uh, it was just a phase I was going through. And he hoped he would never do that, even under the real possibility, and eventually he did, losing his life. He says, I, I hope I'll never be ashamed. I hope that I'll continue to be bold as I've been in the past. And I hope that I, 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 I trust and I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Whether I live or die. It's really not up to me, right? I mean, I don't have, a, I don't have as much control as I thought I had. I, it's not up to me. I mean, I, I'm going to live or die. I mean, whether I live or die, I'm going to bring honor to Christ. And then he goes on to give more explanation. He says, for to me, here's the deal. Living means living for Jesus, living for Christ, that Christ is the center of my life. And the difference is that I'm no longer the center of my life. My desires, my hopes, my dreams is no longer the center of my life, but Christ is the center of my life. And dying is, living for Christ is great, and dying's even better. Now, we don't typically think like that. Dying seems to be a downer. <laughs> you only get to do it once, I guess, you know? It's like, uh, what? Yeah, dying is better. But if I live, he gives some explanation, 
I can do, I can, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm conflicted. Now, where is Paul? Prison. So he's very conflicted. Like, I'd rather just go, get this suffering over with and go and be with Jesus in heaven than being in this prison. But he says this, so I really don't know which is better, but I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go to be with Jesus, which would be far better for me than this hellhole of a prison. That would be so much better for me. But, he says, but for your sakes, and what you see here is this very difficult skill set. I'm going to suffer for your benefit. I'm going to do without so you can have. I'm going to say no to me so I can say yes to you. That's what he's saying. But for your sakes, for your sakes, for your sakes, I'm, I'm not going to long for heaven anymore, but it's better that I continue to live. It, and knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so that I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And he finishes this passage by saying, and when I come to you again, there's a lot of hope there coming back, getting out of prison, you will even have more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. So in this passage, there's this tension that Paul brings out. Hey, whether I live or die, it's not really up to me. But if I, li if I live, man, I'm going to live for Christ. And if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. Now that's, there's a place there right? There's a place that the only thing we know is this present world, this life that we have. And because of that, we hang on to it like it's all we got. But Paul had a bigger perspective. He said, no, there's this eternal reality that makes this life have a context that's, that makes it make sense. Paul understood the big picture. Life and then eternal life. There's this reality I don't know that our faith is growing as fast as Paul's in that prison where we, where we know that, that heaven with Christ is going to be an amazing, amazing place. You know, no more cancer, and no more death, no more heartbreak. Streets of gold. I can't imagine that. The presence of God forever. Amazing golf courses. I made that part up, I, I, but I think that's going to be in there. It's got to be. And in this passage, Paul gives us, I think, three things that help us have joy in the midst of suffering. Remember, he's in prison, so joy in the midst of suffering is very important. And there's a couple of things here. First thing, Paul realized this, that, that life is supposed to be fruitful. And you, you know this, I know this, we want our life to count. We want it to be fruitful. We want our life to produce something. We don't want to just exist and suck in and out air. We don't want to just accumulate things, awards and money and prestige and Instagram followers. We don't want all that. We want our life to have a lasting and, 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 and impact in other people's lives. It's got to be fruitful. It's got to produce something. In fact, when we lose this sense of fruitfulness, then we just start existing for ourselves. Life becomes empty and joy leaves us. 
But there's joy because we can see it. And that's what Paul was saying is, look at, look at all that God has done in Philippi through, through this missionary journey I took. Yeah, I'm in jail. I'm in jail. But, but life's supposed to be fruitful. And look at the fruit of this deal. Now, we might not have as broad of an impact as the Apostle Paul that we're talking about 2,000 years later. But, but you can have an impact where you are. You know, God doesn't measure it really by, uh, by the breadth of it. He, he, he understands the depth of it. The fact that you can have a deep and lasting impact in other people's lives. It, it's, supposed to, it's supposed to be uh, fruitful. And, and if you're lost today in terms of, well, I don't feel like my life has that purpose or, or is fruitful, then you, you've got to f- quit ans- asking the question, what do I need? And start asking a different question. Even though you may be in trouble, maybe you could muster up enough perspective to say, how could I help somebody else even though I could use some help? It's, it's very hard to do. I, I'm not, this is like extra credit stuff. <laughs> because when we're suffering, we want to stop suffering. And the lie we believe is that when I stop suffering, then I'll help people. When we stop suffering, we, we typically rejoice, give thanks. But life's supposed to be fruitful. And, and possibly joy's n- not available to you right now because you don't see any fruit. And I don't know what that fruit needs to look like for you. I'm just saying it doesn't. And here's the other thing, and you know this too, life was about others. I mean, I mean Paul says, hey, if it was just me in prison, I'd rather go to heaven but because of you, I, 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 I'm going to invest in you because of you. And there's something about this connection between the joy of seeing others succeed because of the impact that you make in their life. And you know this as parents, right? Uh, uh, well, you know, you know about suffering because you're parents, right? Because <laughs> you have children. You, know, you have small children. You have small problems. You have big children. You have big problems. I mean, that's, that's it. There's nothing but problems there, but... But what you understand is you much rather see somebody else when you get to a certain place in life. You, you, you just, you, more joy happens because you've helped somebody else have something that you could have had for yourself. And that's what Paul was saying. On Easter, uh, Keaton and I, Keaton's my oldest son, and he was a collegiate golfer. And really good. He's a really great golfer. I don't, I don't think I've really beat him much since ninth grade. I mean, he's just really a great golfer. But he doesn't have any holes in one. <laughs> and I do. <laughs> what a loser he is. <laughs> How many, you ask? Uh, three. It's not a big deal. And I don't like to talk about it, okay? <laughs> but the point is, he has none, okay? <laughs> and there we are at Easter watching the Masters. Now, I've been over to Augusta, and I've seen that golf course. Um, Somebody gave me a practice round ticket, and I got to walk the golf course. I mean, it is amazing. It's incredible. And we were sitting there watching the tournament, and Keaton goes, man, I'd love to play Augusta. Wouldn't you love to play Augusta, Dad? I said, man, I'd love to play Augusta. He said, Dad, you know a lot of people. You got a big church up there. Don't you know anybody that can get you on Augusta? Can you, can you put my phone number up on the... I said, no, I don't know anybody. 
I don't know anybody can get us on to play Augusta. I mean, just amazing. And I had this thought, and I told Keaton that. I said, you know what, son? There we were watching the tournament. Man, we're just, we're, we're eating. He always makes pimento cheese sandwiches. So we're eating because that's what they have there at the Masters. And we're eating pimento cheese sandwiches, watching the tournament, thinking about what a dream it would be to play Augusta. And this thought happened to me. I thought, I said, Keaton, if I only had one round at Augusta given to me, I'd much rather you have it. You're a better golfer, and I would have so much joy watching you. I want to go, okay? <laughs> but I, I would have so much more joy watching you play the, one of the most amazing golf courses in the world. And he said, oh, Dad, I could never take that from you. And I said, well, in this hypothetical situation, take it. <laughs> he said, okay, I'm in. Uh, a couple days later, I rethought the whole thing. I go, what was I thinking? Was, what was in that pimento cheese? And, uh, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, wouldn't you as a parent or a friend sacrifice and give up? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be better for you to witness the joy of somebody else having what you could have had, but you don't want it because what the thing is that you could have had isn't as meaningful as the joy you're giving somebody else. I mean, isn't that the way it works? That's the way it works. That's not to say, oh, woe is me and I don't deserve anything. That's bad self-esteem. You need to get help. This is about the way life works. And it's about others. That's the way it is. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm in prison. This ain't great for me. But man, the joy I have and the smile on my face is thinking about you. Wow. And the last thing he figured out was life is eternal. I mean, that's it. I mean, this is just a vapor, he says in another passage where, where we appear for a little while and then, and then we go away. I mean, just, I mean, really, no matter how many years you have here on earth compared to eternity, it's a, it's a blink of the eye. Now, uh, Paul had this hope because he had this eternal perspective. He had purpose. He had a mission. He knew why he was here. I mean, that's what it is. Our existence, right? Our existence is supposed to make a difference. And he understood that. And he understood that his purpose that came to him came from God, that there's this eternal thing that was happening. He wanted them to have the joy of their faith. And then he says this, he finishes the passage, he finishes the chapter. Above all, here's what I want you to know. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Citizenship is important, okay? So citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And he goes on to say, citizens of heaven, he says, then when, when you understand your identity as a citizen, whether I come to see you again, or only hear about you. Now we see this reality in the passage before. He says, when I, when I come to see you, now he's saying, well, maybe I won't. But, but whether I come to see you or not, I'm going to hear about what God's doing in your church and in your lives. And I will know that you are standing together with one spirit. Remember, it's a very diverse church. 
So you're standing together with one spirit and one purpose, and you're fighting together for the faith, the faith, which is the good news, the the idea that Jesus is the Savior. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting Christ, this is a gift God's given to you, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We don't understand that privilege, right? We don't suffer for our faith, but we do understand suffering. But it says this, we are in this struggle together. That's important. You know, when you're in a struggle, it often feels like you're alone, even though you're surrounded by people. And he was reminding them, no, we're in this struggle together. Now, in the first century, the struggle was a little different. He had all the same problems that we have, but on top of that, it was illegal for you to claim Jesus is the king. And that was the problem with Caesar. Caesar didn't like that. And there are people and places in the world that being a Christian isn't great. We have a family here in the Richmond campus that are from Iran. And they tell the story of being in a predominantly Muslim country and how difficult that is to be a Christ follower. So, so we understand a little bit, theoretically, Cuba is not a great place to be a follower of Christ. But so we understand a little bit, but we do understand this idea of suffering. And so he says, hey, we're going to struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it because I'm still in jail. And I get it. And he says, listen, our life here on earth is like a camping trip is what he's saying. We're, we're only here for a little bit, you know. You ever been camping? You should go camping. It's planned chaos. <laughs> you should take people. Oh, I'm not a camper. You should go. You should go camping. When my boys were growing up, we always went on a backpacking trip to Colorado or someplace like that. And I took them when they were in middle school. And it, it was awful. In fact, the first day, you know, we hike up, we're going to the Continental Divide, there's not much oxygen, I'm out of shape, you know, that kind of thing. My kids are in middle school, they ain't got no wherewithal for this, and we're hiking up the deal, and we got to camp, and my oldest son, Keaton, well, he threw up. He threw up right there. And I go, oh, this is going to be a long week right here, man. It's raining on us, and right there it is. Nowhere to go, nothing to do, he's just like... And it was spaghetti. Okay, I'm sorry. Too much information. (laughs) Then, think about this. Then, the little guide who's some 25-year-old punk kid, okay, (laughs) comes up to me and says, uh, to Keaton and I were standing over there, and he just threw up. It's right there. He says, hey, uh, man, we're going to leave, like, uh, no scars on the earth, and so we're going to have to pack that out. I said, Keith, give me a second. Come over here. And so I gave that fella, I said, listen, man, I'm going to tell you something, Mr. Earth Day. You can pack that puke out if you want. <laughs> but I ain't packing no puke for a week, okay? And uh, we're going to bury that. You can say a prayer over it if you want to, but we not taking the vomit out of here. In the name of the Lord, okay? <laughs> you got to throw that in. It makes you feel like you know what you're doing, okay? He said, well, that's our policy. I said, your policy broken. I want to see, see the, the section on vomit because we're not taking it. We buried it. And the rest of the week, 
was terrible, man. Up and down, my kids complaining, blisters on our shoes, raining, awful. Every night, man, we just died in our, uh, our tent and just, oh, and I could just be there. Every night, we're just like, man, I didn't want to cry. I didn't cry, but man, I wanted to cry. It's like, oh my gosh. Now, we had some great moments along the way. I mean, we saw wildlife, and we got to the top of this mountain. We could see forever. I mean, it was amazing. The weather cleared a couple days, and it was just incredible. I mean, there was these great moments, and then there was just utter suffering. And that last night, I was laying in my bed, and I said, laying in the tent, and my sleeping bag, my kids were, well, they were complaining. I just said, I can't wait to get home. <laughs> Next day, we found a, our road, and a guy picked us up like he said he would, and got on an airplane, and we flew home, and I took a shower, <laughs> a hot shower. And I got in bed, and I told my wife, I said, Lisa, do not let the children near me <laughs> at all. I do not want the children around me. And I just laid there in bed, and I thought, man, how good is it to be home? Wow. That's what I think Paul was saying. This, this world, this life, it's a camping trip. You're going to have some amazing moments, and you should experience all of them. And you got to get out there in the adventure of it all, and you got to journey to places you've never been before. And there's faith involved, and routing and redirections and there's also rain and difficult times and suffering and this ain't home that's why it's so confusing it feels like home but it ain't our citizenship is in heaven and one day one day one day i don't know when but one day we're going to go to heaven if you've experienced this gift, this receiving of this idea that God paid the price for your sins, you don't have to fear death, and you can long for home. And when you get there, you're going to take a shower, and you're going to lay in bed, and you're going to have a tea time early in the morning for an amazing place, and it's going to be incredible. That's what we long for. This ain't it. And so when you have that perspective, you kind of understand, you know, you kind of get it. It's not that we don't enjoy, we should enjoy. God wants us to enjoy this journey, this camping trip. There are a lot of fun. There's a lot of memories to be made, lots of pictures to be taken. But the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And this world's broken and you're broken. And so in today's culture, I know we don't suffer much, but man, there's a, for our faith, but there's suffering, not you know, we, we, we've got to be empathetic. We've got to come together. We've got to pull together. We've got to be united in the purpose. We've got to understand there's this mission, this bigger story. We are our brother's keepers, so we can't let people suffer alone. You wouldn't do that on a camping trip, would you? You'd go help somebody. And that's their God-given purpose. Paul talked about joy, but it was so connected with this purpose idea. Like, why do I exist? I think that's a deep question you ask. And I think you've wondered at times, do I exist just to retire? To make money? To be popular? Do I exist just to have fun? That's my existence? So the question is, where, 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 where's your citizenship? What do you, 
What are you living for? Maybe that's why you're not experiencing joy. You're living for the wrong thing. Maybe, I don't know. And we all do it. I mean, I'm not throwing rocks. I'm in trouble too, you know, I get it. I'm just saying that, man, we got to figure out that we're just passing through and we want to make a big difference in people's lives on the way through this thing. And somehow, somehow, it makes sense. And together, we can live out this idea of purpose and meaning in the midst of suffering. It's we don't have to have everything go our way to feel good about where we are and who we are. We, 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 we can understand that in this world, we're going to have trouble. I get it. I, I know. But this isn't our home. I can't wait to get home. But until then, let's live for Christ and see what happens. Let's pray together. Will you help me pray? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Paul in prison talking about joy. What an amazing thing. And if you're here or West End or Missouri City and you've never given your life to Christ, maybe at the Ramsey unit, you should do that. You don't have to fear death. All you have to do is be forgiven. You don't have to be perfect. You just say, God, forgive me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me, buried and rose again. And I want to follow you. That prayer should give you some confidence that will build and build and build that this life isn't everything. And Father, I know there are many suffering here today. And I pray, I pray that they would not feel like they're suffering alone. And I pray, God, that you would give us a sense of your presence and purpose so that we don't just live for ourselves. Because there's no joy in that, really. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.